Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, in which we learn about the people that are on the front lines delivering and protecting patient care. I'm Ed Gaudet, the host of our program, and today I am pleased to have Lee Milligan, Senior Vice President and CIO of Simon Med Imaging, on with us. Welcome, Lee. Good to see you, Ed. Happy Good to, to be on you. the show. Yeah, excellent. So you've got a great background. Obviously, you've done a lot of work in healthcare over the years. Tell us about your current role in your organization, the current organization you're part of. So that's recently changed. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you and I connected on this or not. I recently left my last organization at Simon Med, and I'm now, I actually launched a small consulting company called Asbury Health Tech Partners. Oh. Uh, focused primarily on optimizing the technology that's in place mm-hmm. and really creating a pathway forward for how health systems can consolidate the many different things that are on their plate. So the example, one of the big projects I'm working on now with the health system in the West is consolidating their imaging. They've got 18 different packs. That's not an exaggeration. And many of them are very antiquated, but folks are used to the workflows associated with their scenario. And so getting everybody on board, identifying stakeholders, creating a racy chart, understanding the workflows that are documented, then crafting out kind of a pathway forward that makes sense for the organization that's more of a unified approach to imaging. That's one of the areas that I'm working on. I love that. So how long have you been doing this, this new job? Uh, It's fairly recent. So started about two months ago. And tell us about the name. How did you come up with the name? So that's actually the name of the grammar school that I went to in Erie, <laughs> Pennsylvania. I, okay, and I'll tell you just, just briefly, I get the Reader's Digest version. It was the greatest grammar school. It had right next to it the Asbury Sanctuary, which was basically a, a woods. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in grammar school, twice a week, they would take us for hikes in the woods. And to this day, I spend a lot of time outdoors, do a lot of hiking. And I attribute most of that to my time at Asbury. You took the path less traveled. Yeah. <laughs> you might I had say to work that. in poetry there. So there yeah, that's it. right. That's right. <laughs> well, I, when I think of Asbury, I think of Bruce Springsteen. So yes, <laughs> yes. And I'm a fan also, but oh, not good. for a different name. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Well, we'll get to music in a bit. So, and that's great. You get to go into these new places and you get to sort of look at all these challenges and construct uh, strategies. And I'm sure a lot of change and transformation goes into that. How is it different being on the other side? I think one of the advantages I have going into these situations is my medical background. So I practiced medicine for a long time. I mean, it Mm -hmm. was the real deal, right? In the trenches, in the emergency department for many years. I'm a board certified residency trained ER physician from UCLA. And so I did it. I did it for a long time. So when we come into these conversations, it's not like just a consultant's coming in and saying, hey, you should do things differently. I can have very honest conversations with arguably the most prickly stakeholders at the table. No, not arguably. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, they have a they have a mission and they don't want anything right. to get in the way of the mission. So that, technology that's right. gets and, in the way. And the technology folks who are bringing me in, frankly, they're grateful that they have somebody, I think, yeah. who can have that difficult conversation because when they're talking about change, they're putting their own scenario at risk. Mm -hmm. And they know that. And so having somebody can come in, have those conversations and kind of be that buffer 
while at the same time kind of mapping out a reasonable pathway forward that usually involves choices with upsides and downsides to each of those choices, I think is really helpful for them. I remember when I was in Pravada, I was coming into healthcare for the first time and mm-hmm. we're sitting at this table with a bunch of CIOs and I got to ask the stupid question. So I asked about how does the clinician talk about single sign-on? And they oh, kind yeah. of laughed and they rolled their eyes and I'm like, what? well, what's so funny? Oh, they talk about saving clicks. And I was just like, the light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. Saving clicks. That's all. Yeah. yeah. So it's such very a practical. It's very practical. It's a different language and being able to bridge that those two worlds is, must be really important and beneficial for you. Yeah, huge value to the folks I've been interacting with. I kind of knew it in the back of my head, but it's really come to fruition as I've been taking on these projects. Great, great. How did you get into healthcare? So that goes back quite a bit. My history is a little bit funky. So I wasn't your typical pre-med guy. I came out of high school with a 2.0 GPA. Whoa. And That's uh overachiever. Yes, over- <laughs> but you probably had fun like me in high school. I was right? achieving something. It just yeah, yeah that's right. We're always yeah. achieving something. <laughs> and I actually went to college right out of high school and did yeah. terrible and basically flunked out. And yeah. so I took some time off and I worked in a variety of jobs. I worked for Beacons Corporation, moving people. Mm-hmm. I worked at The Gap for a while. I worked for a law firm out of San Diego called Latham & Watkins. I was the mailboy. And eventually I got a job as a summer camp counselor in east of San Diego at a place called Camp Cuyamaca. And that camp has two different types of kids that come up there, sixth grade kids for their yearly camp. And then there was time dedicated for kids with muscular dystrophy. Oh, wow. And I had never been exposed to kids with medical conditions before. Mm-hmm. And it completely changed my life. Oh, boy. And I had one of those uh, almost ethereal aha yeah. moments yeah. where I realized I wanted to somehow be a part of helping this segment of society get to a better spot. I didn't know exactly in what way or in mm. what fashion, but I just wanted to be part of it. And so I ultimately found my why. And I went back to school. I had to back up in order to go forward. Yeah. So I had to start out with really basic classes. I, I remember the first quarter I went back, I took Math 99, which is basically arithmetic. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And then built my way up. And then Mm. ultimately, actually, I earned a biology departmental scholarship for the University of Utah, which is very rare to give out one a year. Wow. And I also became a teaching assistant for anatomy. And those two things together really gave me the confidence I think I needed at the time to apply to medical school and to pursue that career. That's a great story. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's really interesting. Yeah. I'm always interested in how people get into the roles they're in or their professions. And it's like, Similarly, I had a really strange way of getting to what I'm doing today. I would have never written that, would have never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing today. So yeah, turned out to be an entrepreneur and I was a writer by trade. So put those two things together. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Makes no sense, right? So, well, that's great. And, you know, when you think about your building your organization now, building your own company, what are your top priorities over the next 24 months? I feel strongly about putting the right people at the table mm-hmm. and then crafting a culture where everybody feels valued and it's clear that they contribute significantly to the overall effort. Mm-hmm. I've been part of organizations and part of teams that didn't have that. And it just takes away your motivation to get up in the morning and to move forward. So I feel really strongly about setting the tone where I'm not always going to agree with everybody, but I'm going to hear everybody. And folks who are on my team are going to know they're going to be at least heard 
Mm-hmm. And we're going to have an honest, transparent conversation. And in my mind, it's an ideaocracy. Let's have a good, honest conversation. Let's let the best idea float to the top versus politics and the rest of that jazz. So I feel strongly about building strong teams. I also feel that in order to really develop the team and the organization, you have to deliver value consistently. So whether I'm doing a formal consultation with a healthcare company or whether, and this happens a lot, as you might imagine, people just call me up and say, hey, I'd love to pick your brain on this topic. Can we talk? And I routinely share time with folks because we're all trying to make this place better, right? right? So I think the combination of building strong teams, having a good workflow in place, and then ultimately being good at sharing your thoughts and ideas with others really helps you get to the right spot. Yeah, I love that. You mentioned ideas, sort of the concept of a meritocracy, which I love. And transparency is so critical as you build cultures. Without transparency, it's so hard to have a strong foundation. It's so important. Are you hiring right now as you build out your organization or? I've got four people on board right now. So it's a small team. Mm -hmm. We're doing primarily project management around the types of things I, like I mentioned before. And so as the number of projects increase, I will definitely be hiring. That's great. That's terrific. It's always interesting to talk to another entrepreneur because there's so many things I'm sure that are in your head at once. I know I I go to sleep and I dream about problems I'm trying to solve, the job, the the company, the culture, et cetera. What keeps you up at night? I would say two things come to the top. The first is cybersecurity. You know, you can't be a CIO or have been a CIO and not constantly think Mm -hmm. about who is going to enter in a way you hadn't thought of. Right. Or maybe a way you did think of, but you weren't guarding the gate. And so I'm constantly thinking about how are bad actors thinking through how to strategize on this. And I've taken an approach with the systems I've been CIO at where I can't afford to throw billions and billions of dollars at this problem. Mm -hmm. So my goal really is to try to be not tempting to an outside bad actor. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be faster than the bear. Yes. It's got to be faster than the next guy getting chased by the bear, right. right? So I'm always trying to get mm-hmm. our system in a position where if I'm a bad actor, I'm looking at a bunch of health systems yeah. or companies to attack. Gosh, that one looks like they're pretty well fortified. I'm not going to waste my time. Mm-hmm. And so that is top of mind. The second definitely comes back to the concept of focusing on the patient. I feel like with all the technology that has been rolled out over the last, let's say, 15 years, what has been forgotten or has at least been only gratuitously mentioned has been the patient. And I have friends and family who've been who've been patients even recently. And universally, the experience within healthcare is poor for patients. Well, poor and getting worse, it seems like. Yes. I've experienced the same thing. It's What's going on? Like, I have never seen it like this. Exactly. It's so clunky. It's so disjointed. It's so disconnected. Dr. A doesn't know what Dr. B said. Dr. A and Dr. B are fighting with one another over what to do. And the patient's the middle person between those two. You know, you can't get your medical records. The radiologist who's trying to just read a CT scan to give a reasonable answer can't get the comparison image from six months ago so they can give an actual reasonable read. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I think my personal opinion on this is that the complexity of this is so complex that we've missed an opportunity to cohesively and collectively 
pull together a general framework that we could all agree upon and at least have that basic framework in place. I feel like we've allowed too many kind of independent standards organizations to kind of thrive and do their thing yeah. without really saying, okay, let's all come to the table. It's going to be 110 volt. And you're going to plug it in the wall mm-hmm. and it's going to be horizontal or vertical. And we're going to be clear on that. And we're all going to use the same thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to the basics. Let's consider the blocking and tackling that used to work. Why have we made it so complex for people? Yeah. Which is yeah, really, really interesting. I hope 2024 will bring that to the industry because certainly we could use it. I think the systems or the, the companies that are able to do that to some small degree mm-hmm. and showcase the revenue value to mm-hmm. having done that will be the ones that will be successful. Yeah. I think the ones that are automating, you know, in the beginning, it was all about, can we do this? Yeah. And now we should be asking, should we do this? And frequently along any workflow you're talking about, a fraction or a portion of it should be automated. And there's probably a fraction or portion of it where there should be a human being. Mm -hmm. And so being able to step back and say, what's automatable, if that's a word, and what really what should include a human being? I mean, the example I would give is you only have to get caught in a phone tree one time where the nine choices they give you, none of which apply to your situation, and they don't give you zero talk to the operator as an option. (laughs) That's another, yeah, that's another. I'm sorry, guys, but you're not hitting Exactly, exactly. Well, it's so frustrating too. You just want to talk to, can I just option here out of here, out of this uh, circular hill? No, great point. And how do you think about Amazon in all of this? I think Amazon's a great company. I think they can do a lot of interesting things. I think they have experimented with various elements of healthcare delivery. Mm -hmm. And I think they've brought the wrong people to the table, frankly. I think, honestly, you need a clinician who actually also understands technology to be at the forefront of leading these things. And instead, we're getting one of two things. You're either getting a clinician who really does not understand technology on any level, or you get a technician who doesn't understand the clinical side. But in order to be effective, you really need that person who understands both sides of the coin to lead the effort. And I think when they eventually do that, and they will, I believe, come to that conclusion, mm-hmm. then I think the world's their oyster. Yeah. And so what do you think they acquire maybe a large provider or a medium-sized provider and build from there? I think it starts with leadership. I think they need to bring mm-hmm. in individual leaders mm-hmm. who have that experience. There's probably two dozen MD CIOs across the country. Honestly, I think that's what they need to bring in. Bring yeah. in a Chris Longhurst, bring in a Michael Pfeffer, bring in Mark Wiseman, bring in mm-hmm. some of these guys yeah. who have seen both sides of this, understand the technology well, but are authentic in their understanding of how to deliver healthcare Pragmatic. and open yeah. to how to do it better. Yeah, and that's great. Great point. Tough couple of years with the pandemic. Yeah. Looking back this year, what are you personally and professionally most proud of? So with the last system I was with, we had, when I walked into the organization, there was a significant amount of unplanned downtime within the organization. Mm-hmm. And it was due to 18 different things. It wasn't like you could just point to one thing, mm. but primarily there wasn't a clear roadmap for how to do standard work within the organization. And so after making some adjustments to the team and trying to get the right team on board and creating the culture we were talking about before, mm-hmm. which by the way, started with creating a daily standup. I love that. Agile. Da- oh man, the daily standup was <laughs> so critical so because so it forced people to talk. And frequently when teams are not performing well, 
they tend to silo that's right and information hoard and so getting folks to talk was key and i had just three elements of that in place the first was i would literally go around and ask each person are there any fires in your domain we would go from domain to domain to domain and once that was done i had a kanban board and the kanban board was for non-project work that we were needed to do right and each lane was a separate lane and so we would go through the kanban board and then lastly I would ask everybody again, one by one, anything for, I would call it round table, anything for round table. Mm -hmm. And that gave folks a chance to, first of all, raise the flag if there is a fire. Mm -hmm. Number two, clarify any ongoing work that needed to be clarified beyond projects. And number three, share things with their peers that needed to be shared. And what it did is it took away the ability to say, I don't have an opportunity to share. Because every day you're at the table, we're talking. So, you know, that piece was really huge, but ultimately between making improvements in hardware, making some upgrade changes, changing our standard workflow, one of the big things we put in place was, I guess, at our best-in-class change advisory board hmm. so that any new changes to the production environment had to go through this very rigorous process. And I, we put in place policies and procedures and even scripting for how to vote on it. So it was very formal. And what ultimately happened was we had a lot of downtime hours. We had in excess of 80 unplanned downtime hours in the months when, when I first got there. And in my last few months, we were down to zero. Wow, that's terrific. Yeah, huh. it was, I'm definitely most proud of that. And the team yeah. did a fantastic job. They really pulled together. And have you checked back? Are they still maintaining that level or? I don't have numbers. I've hmm. had some folks call me and we've had some conversations since then. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as I was leaving, it was definitely in a good spot. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Outside of healthcare, outside of IT, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this job? What are you most passionate about? Well, I do a lot of things outside of work. So we've got, my wife and I has, my wife's a PA, a physician uh, assistant, yeah. and we have four kids, three of which go to University of Oregon. Oh, wow. And then our youngest is a uh, sophomore in high school. Okay. So I spent a lot of time interacting with the kids and so we talk about academics, talk about their classes, try to support them in that, try to do some tutoring where I can with the kids. But we spend a lot of time outdoors as well. My wife and I hike quite a bit. I also ride, this will sound strange coming from an ER doc, but I ride motorcycles. I love so, it. So what do you have? You know, not a big deal. I just I have a KLX 300, which is kind of an on off yeah. road. Yeah. And then I have a uh, Kawasaki Vulcan 650. Oh, nice, the Vulcan. Which, yeah. yeah, it's a fun little yeah. Like to cruise around town. So I like to ride motorcycles quite a bit. Last motorcycle I was on, I was uh, I was on an Indian chief and uh, I was heading up to oh, wow. uh, Joshua Tree Park. And uh, if you know um, Coachella, the area mm -hmm. in California where they hold that. And so, oh yeah, you're literally, as you're, <laughs> as you're approaching the turn to head up to, I think it's Route 10. In the distance, you see this beautiful mountain range and these windmills that are basically up on the mountain range. And I'm like, I remember going to myself, wow, that's a weird place to put the windmills. And all of a sudden yeah. we take the turn. It's, it's like being in a tornado, the crosswinds. Oh, really? Yeah. We had to stop. We got off and we went back to the place we rented the bikes. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, I was waiting for you to call. Usually we have to send out a truck like a, you know, to... To, to bring you back, back the bikes. And I literally leaped across the counter at him. Like, why did you let us go out there? Are you insane? Like, it was probably the worst drive in my life. I was scared to death. I know that road. 
No. I, and I know that wind. It oh, is unbelievable. Awful. It is awful. I, I'm yeah. surprised it didn't crash. Like, yeah. Um, I was out there with a buddy. We were on a three-day music fest that they held. It wasn't Coachella, but yeah. it was great. Three days. Stones, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, wow. The Who, yeah, Roger Waters. It was fantastic. Three That's awesome. That. But So um, to answer your question, what would I be doing if I wasn't doing this, if I was outside of medicine and outside of technology, I would open a coffee shop. Huh? A coffee would, shop. Was it the but, Bob Dylan reference? <laughs> <laughs> but it would have automation. In place, oh, but it would okay. also have the human element in place and it would have the best damn coffee on the planet. I love coffee. I drink <laughs> a lot of coffee. I'd be at your coffee shop. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So go back in time. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? You know, in my case, I did a lot of things in a really atypical fashion. And ultimately, I think it led to a, in my case, a richer view of the world. Mm. Even I look back at when I was working for that law firm as a mailboy. Character building. That, and also I had a really good manager and she let me make a whole bunch of changes to how mail was delivered in the, this is a big law firm. This is two yeah. stories of a very large office building in downtown San Diego. And I was able to put in place a whole bunch of changes that actually improved the efficiency of your the delivery first, of mail. Your first transformation project. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. No, that's and I, great. you know, I've drawn yeah. from that ever since, those yeah. kinds of things. So I honestly, I think I would say just figure it out. Yeah. Let's figure, figure it out. out. That's good. That's yeah, a, go figure it out. Yeah. I told you the riskiest thing I've ever done. What's the riskiest thing you've ever done? Riskiest thing I ever did, separate from clinical medicine. So within the technology space, I would say when I took over as CIO for the Asante Health System, mm -hmm. That was a pretty big risk. That was a pretty big jump. I was CMIO and there, CMIO, there's only one letter difference. It's a world of difference. But there's no comparison <laughs> between right. CMIO and CIO. That's right. Yeah. And so that was mm -hmm. arguably pretty risky. I had a fantastic CEO at the time who really believed in me. Mm -hmm. And at the time I actually negotiated, before I said yes, I negotiated for two things. I negotiated for... I needed a financial person that I wanted to hire, not full-time, but X number of hours a week who mm -hmm. could help me make sense of the numbers and also present the numbers in a way that could tell a story. Because mm -hmm. I knew if I couldn't tell a story, I couldn't get approval. Right. And so I wanted to work backward into that and have somebody who could help me do that. And he agreed to the first one. The second one was I asked for a CIO coach. I didn't need it forever, but I thought for the first few months, man, it would be great to have a CIO coach. And he misunderstood. He thought I wanted an executive coach. And I said, yeah. I, frankly, you know, I've been doing this executive stuff for a while. I don't need an executive coach. I know how to present in front of the board. I know how to frame things up for folks. Mm -hmm. I know how to navigate the crazy politics. I'm fine with that. But I need somebody who's actually been in the CIO saddle before who can help me navigate this. And he agreed to that as well. Oh, and that wow. proved to be key in the success that we enjoyed at Asante because for two reasons. One, I could run things past him. And if I got it wrong, he could tell me. But the second thing was a lot of the ideas, frankly, most of the ideas were exactly on target, mm -hmm. but I knew they would be controversial with my staff or with the organization. But when I ran it past the CIO coach, he could give me his feedback. And at that time I could walk in with a level of confidence about this pathway that I never would have had had I not had the opportunity to share that with the coach first. So it yeah. ended up being a really important element. Of it. That's great. I see. I thought you were going to say something about scaling Zion or 
<laughs> Angels Walk or Angels Landing. I forget what the... Uh, uh, oh, yeah. I've done a fair amount of that as well. This summer, I was in Spain with my daughter, who's 18, oh, and then the my son, or... who's now 20. What's that? Did you do the walk? The uh... Camino? Yeah. No, I didn't do the Camino, but I yeah. took the bullet train from Madrid down to Valencia. Oh, nice. And then south of Valencia, there's a little area down there that has some great climbing on the cliffs overlooking the Mediterranean. Hmm. And my son and my daughter and I got in some very precarious scenarios. At one yeah. point, she said, I think we're going to die, Dad. And I said, okay, Ooh. just one step at a time, one handhold at a time, we're yeah. going to get this. Yeah. And we made our way out. So maybe oh. that's the most scary thing I've done. Oh, that's cool. Oh, scary and cool at the same time. Yeah. That must have been picturesque and like, you know, you know, the the beauty and the the fear at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Mixed emotions. Speaking of islands, you're on a desert island. What's mm -hmm. the top five albums or movies you'd bring with you? Oh wow. This one's easy for me because I'm a, I love music and I love movies. Me too. Awesome. So movie wise, it would be there's three that come to mind. The natural. Oh, good. Good pick. An oldie but a goodie. Yeah, it's a good one. Rocky two. Not one. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And Field of Dreams. Wow. Very common themes across the three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Field of Dreams <laughs> is phenomenal. What a great movie that is. And then in terms of albums, I would say Peter Gabriel So. I think it's just like an anniversary, was it this year? Was it? 50th or 40th anniversary or something. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. You too, Joshua Tree. Great album. I just saw them, by the way, perform Octum Baby in the Sphere. At the Sphere? You were there at the Sphere? I was uh, there. And I had, you're going to hate this, I had the best seats in the house, and they were actually really cheap because I was not organized. Yeah. I waited to the last minute. My wife thought I bought them. I thought she bought them. And then I said, hey, you got the tickets? And she goes, I thought you had the tickets. So I scrambled, <laughs> went on a Ticketmaster, and these tickets that were 1500 bucks a pop, at that point, were down to 275 Whoa. And so I snagged them and it turned out they were the best seats in the house. We got wow. lucky. Was it, was it like awesome. a couple of weeks ago or like four weeks ago? Yeah, it was or... like, it was maybe four weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, a good friend of mine was there the too. She posted it all on Facebook. I'm like, this looks awesome. Yeah, it was right before they were preparing for the race. It was a yeah. Formula One race. Yeah, yeah. Or Grand Prix. I can't remember. Yeah. I don't follow racing, so I don't know. But that was a mess. Las Vegas Boulevard was an absolute mess. Mm. Well, that sounds like a good show. Any other bands or any other albums? I think anything by Def Leppard. You have, you have so, a good taste. That's why I was probing. Yeah. What else is behind that? <laughs> the curtain. Oh, the there. other big one would be um, Don Henley. I'm a big Don Henley oh, fan. Oh, Don Henley. Also. Eagles too? or Yeah, I love Eagles too. Yeah. I mean, Don yeah. Henley's got yeah. a little bit odd in his later years, but some of his music was just ridiculous. It was yeah. so good. He had just, he had honed his skills with the Eagles and then took it to the Great that story. Next color. step. Yeah, really great yeah, story. Yeah, Boys color. of Summer, like forget Boys about it. Summer's a great song. Yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah, I always forget like which songs are Don Henley songs or which ones are the Eagle songs because yeah. when he He's got a song called A Month of Sundays. Mm. And it comes right after a song called Sunset Grill. I or love actually that song. right before Sunset, Sunset Grill. Grill. Yeah. On the I think it's Building the Perfect Beast album. I'll check that That's, out. Man, yeah. really good. You like country? I like some. Check Should out, have been a cowboy. It's a pretty good one. Check out Zach Bryan. Do you know him, Zach Bryan? What's his name? Zach Bryan. He's new. Zach Bryan. Okay. Yeah, he's like, my kids feed me with new songs. New yeah. Music, new I love that when they do that. I do too. Like Noah Kahn yeah. is another one I just learned about. And Noah Kahn is amazing. It's like this generation's Bob Dylan, if you will. 
Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, okay. Anyway. I'll check them out. Thanks. All right. Great. So we're just about wrapping up. We went a little long, but if, any advice to folks that are starting their career in IT or maybe cybersecurity? Yeah, I would say for both, I think it's critically important to understand the underlying business that you are attempting to augment with your technology or your cybersecurity. So it's critically important to understand what problems the operators are attempting to solve and then be a partner with them in attempting to solve that. Historically, and I, and I think this is low-hanging fruit, right? Because I think historically, cybersecurity folks in particular have a reputation for focusing on cybersecurity at the expense of the business. And I think there is a portion of cybersecurity folks, analysts and CISOs alike, who really understand the business and are attempting to augment the business in a safe fashion. And they partner and they provide choices to folks. So I yeah. think if you can be seen as someone with that intelligence, where you really understand the business and you're looking to augment it with the security or the technology, and you need their help in order to be able to get it right, boy, you will be seen as somebody who stands out in the crowd. Excellent. Excellent. We've been talking to Lee Milligan today. This is Ed Gaudet from the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. And remember, if you're on the front lines protecting patient safety and delivering patient care, remember to stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T.com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet, and until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps.